Okay, thank you, Charles. Thank you for the musicians, for uh, the ministry and music. And uh, now it's time to uh, go on to my next sermon on First Thessalonians. Tonight's message will be on First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. If you'd like to uh, find your way there. The Word of God says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honour, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that we write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may lack, have lack of nothing. I'll just uh, commit the, the sermon to the Lord in prayer. I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd uh, bless and anoint me to teach and preach the word of God, that it be your word, that I'll be able to speak the truth in love, and that we would all be stirred up to love and good works to serve you, and to live a holy walk. The title of the sermon is A Call to a Holy Walk. And this is, uh, we see in the previous chapter that Paul had spent time praying for the church at Thessalonica, night and day praying exceedingly. And we went through some of the things that he prayed for. The first thing that he prayed for them is that he might see them again face to face in fellowship and also that he might teach and preach the word of God to perfect that which is lacking in their faith. He saw that they were spiritual babes and needed to be built up and strengthened in their faith. And in this he asked God for guidance, that he would direct, that God would direct his way back to them, that he would make it possible for him to go back. And he also prayed that God would make them increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men, even their enemies. And he prayed to the end that God would establish their hearts unblameable in holiness before him at the coming of the Lord Jesus. He wanted them to have a good judgment seat of Christ. Now in chapter 4, Paul gives instructions on how the church should live a holy life to do God's will, to obey his commandments that Paul had given them and so please God. So we see in chapter 
4, verses 1 to 8, Paul beseeches and exhorts them to obey his teaching on how the Christian life should be lived, to please God and do his will. And they should abound in this more and more, for these are the commandments of the Lord Jesus. And the Apostle Paul reminds them, first of all, that the will of God is for their sanctification. That is another word for holiness. He wants them to live a holy life. And the first thing that he mentions is they should abstain from fornication. This means all sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage. As independent Baptists, we do not agree with same-sex marriage or sex outside of marriage. So um, in verse 4, Apostle Paul says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honour. And in verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Because the Thessalonian church now knew God, it was important for them not to revert to their old pagan ways where fornication was rife. He wanted them to know that the will of God is for them to abstain from that. And they should be able to control their own bodily appetites and keep themselves free from this. Because the lust of concupiscence means to covet having an abnormal desire or lust. And Paul wants them to avoid this, to do God's will, to live a holy life. Paul also reminds them in verse 6 that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. For, the, for God has not called us unto uncleanness but unto a holiness. Now, what Paul means by defrauding a brother or defrauding, defrauding another means to overreach to get an advantage or to make a gain. That is, to use somebody else for your own pleasure and then discard them. We are better than the animals. Evolutionists say we're not any better than the animals, just more highly developed ones. We are not like the animals. We are made in the image of God. And there are consequences for all sexual sins for everybody involved because the Lord is the avenger of all such. It states that in verse 6, because we have, have warned you that the Lord is the avenger of all such. Paul reminds them that God has not called us unto uncleanness, but to holiness. And in verse 8, he reminds them, if anybody despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. If we defile our bodies, God has promised he will destroy us. It says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 and 17. I'll read it out. For you know, for you know not that ye are the temples of temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you if any man defile the temple of God him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy which temple are ye 
So we must keep ourselves from defiling our bodies and keep them as temples of the Holy Spirit because God will judge all these sins eventually. We might get away for it, get away with it for a time. But uh, we must realise that we can become bound by our sins. They form a bondage which we can't get rid of easily. We need to come to the Lord, repent of our sins and be cleansed from all filthiness of flesh and spirit by the washing of the water of the word. When we become Christians, we are washed and sanctified. We have this implied sanctification through the cross and now as we walk out our Christian life, we have to walk out practical sanctification in our daily walk, our daily living. It is not enough to say that because Christ has saved me, I'm free to do anything I like. Like some people say, that anything goes. Because if we live that kind of life, God will eventually judge us. As we look at the world around us, there are three main characteristics of this present age. The present age is between the ascension of the Lord Jesus and his second coming. And in Bible prophecy, another another subject in the Bible Institute, they said the three main characteristics of this present age are moral decay, spiritual declension and natural disasters. We see this in an abundance all around us. We see this, the latest thing that's come into the Western world seems to be same-sex marriage. The spiritual declension, it's just going down. And... Uh, and this eventually will lead to persecution of Christian churches and schools that don't agree with this. I can see it coming. And we should be ready for it. And, uh, and Paul, again, I remind you that Paul states that he that despises these warnings despises not man but God. The world is showing its contempt for God and his commandments. This is fulfilling a prophecy in Psalm 2. I'll read it out to you. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. We see that the Lord is beginning to vex the earth. And we see this in the magnitude of the natural disasters that are happening all around us. And yet the world is trying to deny that God maybe is trying to get them to return to him to get their attention, like Robin said on Sunday, the, Brother Robin said that sometimes the Lord uses something, a calamity in our lives to bring us back to him. I think the Lord is using the natural disasters that are happening in the world to get the world's attention. But the world is busily saying, no, this is man-made, this is climate change. We can solve the problem by reducing carbon emissions and so forth. It's just plain nonsense. When you reject the truth, you're open to any delusion that comes along. God himself actually says, 
if you reject the truth, he will choose your delusions. And I think the Lord has chosen this delusion of climate change to uh, judge the earth. So we see here that uh, we are called to practice holiness in controlling our physical appetites. And in the next part of chapter 4, we see now that we are called to practice brotherly love and Christian charity, which is the very nature of our holy God. Holiness can be expressed in our love for the brethren and love for all men. I'll uh, read this verse 9 to uh, verse 10. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Paul writes that he doesn't need to, to teach them to practice brotherly love, but they are taught by God to love one another. But he beseeches them in verse 10 to increase more and more. And we also notice that there are two different words translated love in this verse, verse 9. The first one is brotherly love, which is the Greek word Philadelphia, which means fraternal affection or kindness. And the second word that they are taught of God to love one another is the word agapeo, which means to love in a social or moral sense, which, which the King James Bible usually translates as charity. So God expects us to practice brotherly love plus Christian charity. And I think the example we have of Christian charity is the Lord Jesus himself. Because um, he was willing to lay down his life for us. That is the greatest demonstration of love. It says in John 3.16, I think you can say all recited off by heart, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because God loved us, he gave his son for us and Jesus Christ was willing to go to the cross and die for our sins, that we would be saved. So here's, here's our example. And uh, in John 13, verses 1 to 17, Jesus demonstrated his love for his disciples in a very unusual way in that he was willing to wash their feet. And contrary to what the Catholic Church teaches, it's not just the Pope who does it one day a week, one day a year, to wash cardinals' feet or priests' feet. But Jesus did this for his disciples as a demonstration of his love. And I think we too should demonstrate our love for the brethren in doing things that uh, we might consider menial or very humbling or that are not recognised or that are not really thanked or uh, 
or of much importance to, to people. I think it is that um, it says in John, 1 John 3.16, hereby, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I think this is brought out day by day, week by week, as we continue in our service and ministries in the church without needing to be thanked or encouraged, but we just go about our duties uh, as to the Lord. And we shouldn't be worried about seeking the limelight, say, look at me, I'm doing this for the Lord. We should just do it because it's unto the Lord and it's showing love for the brethren. I think Christian love is self-sacrificial. It seeks the best for others. I think this is brought out by General William Booth in his last message to the conference of the Salvation Army. His one-word message as he lay dying was others. Others. Consider others better than yourselves. Consider others more than yourself. Be self-sacrificial as the Lord Jesus was. His example for us, also in John chapter 13, 34 and 35, he gave us a new commandment. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also may love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. This is how the world is going to know that we are Christians if we love one another, are willing to do just as Jesus did to sacrifice himself for others. As we have learned um, that we can practice holiness by controlling our physical appetites and we have seen that we can show the nature of God by practicing brotherly love and Christian charity. Now we are commanded to work, another aspect of holiness. Paul has to remind the Thessalonian church to work. It would be very surprising that this should be needful because it seemed that some in the Thessalonian church, because they heard that the rapture was coming upon them, that they could give up work and just be idle and sponge off others and eat at others' expense. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. The word study means to be fond of honour, that is, to emulate, to be eager or earnest to do something, to labour, to strive or to study. The word quiet just simply means that, to be quiet, to keep still, to refrain from meddlesomeness or speech, to cease, to hold peace or to be quiet. So Paul is saying they should study to be quiet. 
They shouldn't be gossips. They shouldn't be going from house to house, meddling other people's affairs and meddling in other people's business, telling them what to do. He commands them to do their own business and to work with their own hands. These people were commanded to work and to eat their own food. In, even in Second Thessalonians, Paul has to remind them again because there, there were still some people who were walking disorderly. In Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, he says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. The reason being that they would have a good reputation in the eyes of unbelievers. If the unbelievers saw Christians who weren't working, they would blame the Lord Jesus. It would be dishonourable to the Lord Jesus. So they are commanded to work. I myself haven't worked for some time because I lost my last job and I've developed a couple of serious illnesses that have prevented me from working for some, some years and I've also reached the age of retirement. Well, practically. And uh, I quickly learned when it came to uh, Good Shepherd that this is not good enough for a man to be idle because I learned that idle minds and idle hands soon become the devil's tools. I came to Good Shepherd and uh, I've tried to keep myself busy. I was encouraged to do uh, a course. I decided to do uh, information technology, or they used to call it that. It was computers. I tried to do it online. I found it impossible to complete. I got two-thirds of the way through. It was just impossible to complete online. because one subject. They gave absolutely no instruction. You had to find somebody to teach it to you, which was to format a hard disk on a Windows computer and reinstall Windows. I found it impossible to do, so I got two-thirds of the way through. But it meant that I'm a bit computer literate better than I used to be. And it came in invaluable doing Bible Institute studies. And I've also tried to get involved in various ministries and the Bible Institute and volunteer work to keep myself busy. So I think the Apostle Paul tells us we should do our own business and mind our own business, work with our own hands and uh, just try to do the Lord's work. So um, in conclusion, I'd just like to say that we are called to a holy walk and I think God means it and there's no excuse for not living a holy walk. There's no justification for fornication. No justification said I just can't stand it anymore. There's no justification for pornography or anything like that even though the world may persecute us for our stand, the world may persecute us for our stand about same-sex marriage, 
And uh, we also call to show holiness by practicing brotherly love and Christian charity and to increase in this more and more. Jesus said that in the last days, because iniquity shall abound, the love of the many shall wax cold. We see this all around us. People are indifferent to one another and their problems. People in times past knew their neighbours and now they don't. Because the world is becoming more and more unholy and wicked in every, every way, people are becoming more unkinder and more unloving. But this shouldn't be so in the church. And we should also practice holiness through our work, that by working with our own hands, we have a good reputation and have lack of nothing. Because the Lord's return is imminent, there is no reason for us to neglect our work or our service for the Lord. We should be stirred up to even more uh, service for the Lord. And uh, because the Lord is nearly upon us, it is up to us to seek to do God's will because holiness is God's will and we shouldn't try to get out of it. Thank you very much.